Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. Follow us on Twitter at iGuestInfo. Send us your questions and we'll try to answer. Now enjoy the show. Welcome back to Northwest Prime here on Seattle Wave Radio. Our guest today is a rock star amongst uh, people in fantasy fiction, Terry Brooks. I'm calling this show a gift from the universe because, you you know, you start down one way thinking that you're going to – uh, be interviewing somebody one way and it totally comes out somewhere different and the universe opens up somebody to you that um, maybe wasn't on your radar before and you end up really, really liking what you find. And that is, is the case. I really didn't know too much about Terry Brooks um, before. I was running around um, uh, Seattle and I was doing a lot of shows on people who, you know, so-called made it in Seattle and were giving back to, to Seattle and the community. And I was asking people, who should I interview? And, and the name Terry Brooks kept coming up over and over and over. They're like, he's the nicest guy. He gives back to Seattle. You need to find Terry Brooks. So I went looking for Terry Brooks, and I like what I found. He just um, – from, from everything I can find out about him, he is a great guy, and he, on top of all of that, is remarkably talented. So thank you, Terry, for coming on today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. You're sure all those people you talked to weren't people I owed money to, were you? <laughs> well, they seem pretty genuine. You know, it, um, it, right. it, was, um, it, it was just over and over and over again. It was like the universe just kept telling me, Got, you got to find Terry. You got to find Terry. It's one person after another. They're like, "Have you interviewed Terry Brooks? Have you found Terry Brooks? You need to talk to Terry Brooks." And I'm like, "I am on the Terry Brooks uh, trail." So I did. I, I tracked you down, and here you are. Well, good. I'll try not to lead you into a black hole. <laughs> well, you have um, a, a remarkable track history when it comes to writing best-selling books. And you are a New York Times bestseller on many levels. I, I think it's close to 30 books now. You also have a huge reputation amongst the Star Wars community for writing um, the Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace. And what you, your, your career has kind of evolved, and from from your writing as a a, a child, as a, I think 10 years old, you said you kind of started writing, and you kind of went down right. this road that's that's developed obviously it has to be bigger than than you dreamed of as that little 10 year old boy well i don't know you know i had pretty big dreams when i was 10 years old so it's it's kind of hard to remember for sure but i suspect that i've exceeded uh my wildest dreams from any time in my life and and much of it has to do with uh with the fact that i love what i do i really i can't even imagine doing anything else anymore right right well, 
fantasy fiction, you talked in your TED Talks, which was really great, about um, how boys kind of went down the um, uh, science fiction genre and, and girls kind of went down the, the – there were books written for girls and kind of books written for boys. But now it seems like that through people like you and, and other people, it's, there's more girls now coming into the fantasy fiction Oh, absolutely. There's a huge shift uh, from when uh, I grew up in the 40s and 50s, um, and the, the, the divisions between what boys read and girls read was, was very well defined, and particularly for boys, all of whom didn't read fantasy in those days. They were reading science fiction because everybody was caught up in the space race, and uh, they were caught up in, in, in the science fiction uh, writing uh, that was being done at that time, uh, kind of the golden age. Uh, but that's all changed, uh, and in many ways, because uh, women are now uh, per perhaps predominant in the field of fantasy uh, as writers. And um, uh, I think much of what's being done these days, the really good writing, is being done by women. Uh, this, in turn, encourages girls to read uh, in that field. Um, and I found that uh, long about the uh, middle of the 80s, there was a dramatic shift, and I was getting a lot of mail from uh, female readers, uh, particularly wanting to know how come I wasn't doing more with my female characters, and I, I felt like that was a wake-up call if ever there was one. And uh, since then, it, that particular segment of the reading population has only in, in, in fantasy has only gotten stronger. So you're seeing more women turn out to maybe your book signings and, and having more female fans. Yeah, you know, and it's a there's a demographic anyway that says that women are are, are more more often fiction writers than men. Um, I I don't know that that's necessarily true at the younger ages, but I suspect it might be, uh, and that they that men tend to be readers of nonfiction. Uh, it's been my mission in life to change that, of course, uh, and get those get those men off of all that uh, nonfiction and onto something useful like uh, elves and dwarves and so forth. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm finding uh, that uh, the audiences for the readings and the events and so forth are at least 50-50, uh, uh, and that the age group, too, has, has shifted, too. I think sometimes I started out with a very young readership. Uh, uh, you know, teenagers and early 20s was mo were most of, the, most of what made up uh, my readership. And that all changed because they grew up along with me. Uh, and luckily, they stuck with me. So now I see all ages come out. And a lot of people have been with me for my whole career, uh, fortunately. And uh, that's, right. that's very, that's very and I, it's encouraging to see because this is such a wonderful field anyhow, and it, there's so many interesting stories being written. Well, there's, there's been a huge change in the way that people buy books and read books now, and, and you've been able to witness that throughout your long career with the e-reader. Is, is that changing anything with the way you write or, or think about you know, how you're going to market or sell your books or, or promote your books? Well, I don't think it's had any impact on my writing. Almost nothing has had any impact on my writing that doesn't relate to where I am in my life uh, and, and what interests me at that particular time. But it certainly made a dramatic impact on the way in which uh, I go about publicizing and marketing my work. Uh, there was a lot of resistance to e-books in the beginning. I think everybody has now acknowledged that they're here to stay, uh, that they're going to command a certain segment of the market. Uh, that's, a, that's a moving target. Um, and I think that ebook readers, particularly, are still evolving. The technology isn't there yet. It's uh, it's going to get better. 
Um, so, yeah, you know, um, I, I can remember, what, uh, 20 years ago, uh, not having to deal with being online because there was no online to speak of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can remember doing my all of my publicity through the bookstores or through paper or mailings of, of that thing, uh, that sort. Um, and when I, I developed a, a website or, or found a website in the uh, late 90s uh, and somebody to run it for me, I never looked back. And the publisher basically turned everything over to the website. And now almost all of what we do happens uh, in, in, in communications um, and in publicity, uh, except for what the publisher puts out in their, at their end of things. Almost everything I do is done through the Internet. And... Uh, that is another part, another segment of that whole uh, screen readership, uh, screen involvement uh, that's going to continue to, to uh, be a major part of, of writers' lives. Well, the Internet is almost, it, it's evolved to what science fiction would have been in the 40s and 50s. You could have never dreamed of the Internet in, you know, when, uh, when science fiction was, you know, it, it only talked about those kind of things. And now here it right. is, you know, in the real life. Yeah, and that's what uh, that's what science, good science fiction does. That it it, uh, uh, it predicates the pre- the future on what the present offers, and uh, it, it and it, it postulates that we're going to see this evolution down the road. But when you get there, it's usually not exactly the same, and usually it's even more dramatic. And I, I can't think of anything that's happened in the last twenty years that's more dramatic than than the internet and. Uh, uh, we're having, we're all as writers, we have to adjust to this. And uh, I talk to writers all the time about what they're doing, and the fact that in when I grew up uh, as a writer, in uh, you know when I was in my 30s, uh, the the prevailing view amongst editors and publishers was writers should be read, not heard or seen. And uh, basically, your job was to write the books. You weren't supposed to go out and flash yourself around the country because. Uh, that wasn't your job, you know, and that wasn't what people cared about. They wanted to read the books, they didn't care about you. Well, unless, of course, you were, you know, in a self-help program or a celebrity of some sort. So now where are we? Now we're in a whole different place where suddenly writers are expected to be performers. Uh, and mm-hmm. we've all had to adjust to a certain extent to accommodate that ex- expectation on the part of readers and to put ourselves out there in a way that would have been unthinkable 40 years ago. Right, right. Well, you have a great website. I just want to put that out. I'm sure everybody probably knows it, terrybrooks.net. You have a huge, huge following. I have interviewed rock stars, and I've had rock stars calling me about my interview with you. And everybody knows who (laughs) Terry Brooks is, and they love you. And it's just been really a thrill to go on this journey just to even lead up to where I am now because it's it's just been exciting to have everybody's feedback or people contacting me about being able to talk to you and people saying, please let Terry know that I love his work and I think he's great. And I mean, I mean, just not mere (laughs) mortals like myself, but, but, but other people who, you know, actually you know, have a, have followings are following you. I think we have some very desperate people out there. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> are are you doing at all the Kindle graphs? A what? Um, a, a Kindle graph is what um, all of these, um, well, not all of these, but, but, but a lot of authors are doing um, in uh, – I guess maybe in lieu of book signings or something, it's called a Kindle graph. 
And mm-hmm. it's an autograph that drops. I don't really quite get how the whole thing works, but they're really hot and popular it's right like now. An but the author. Yeah, yeah, it's like an online autograph. It's called a Kindle graph, and they, it drops to the readers, I guess, through their Kindle or something like that. And I didn't know if you, if you were doing anything like no, that. You know, my, you know, Laurie, my first reaction to that is, what's the point? Uh, hmm. if, you, if, you want an, if you want an autograph, you, you want a personal connection, I think. At least that's the way I feel about it. And I, right. I don't, I don't I, you know, I know I sign lots and lots of books and send them out. We do e-signings all the time, but really... Uh, to do it on a screen seems pointless. I mean, I want to talk to the people face-to-face. That's what's fun, is to hear what readers have to say about what they're reading, what they're doing, how they feel about fantasy, and that personal connection is what makes it all worthwhile. Otherwise, you're writing into a void, and, and I, don't, I don't get much back from that, and I really don't feel compelled to engage in something like that. I agree. It's just, you know, it's just been blowing up Twitter lately these Kindle graphs and I didn't see the point either because I mean it's just almost virtual I don't know what significance it would have but it just seems to be really popular so I'm glad to have your thoughts on that but when when readers they really get into your books and so they start taking on their own imagination with their characters do you ever get any good feedback or ideas or does your family give you ideas or how do you separate all of the um, the the, the <laughs> ideas people are trying to feed you and lead you, and then kind of go your own way. Right. Yeah, well, my family gives me good ideas about where we should eat tonight, and that, beyond that, no. <laughs> uh, my wife is my first reader and editor, though, so she's very helpful. I see. I should quickly add that, so I don't get myself in trouble. Readers <laughs> do give me good feedback. Uh, they're very good about that, and um, it, it's it's often uh, not just uh, we love your books, but it's constructive. And uh, Mm -hmm. I know, for example, that if I don't edit my books for the umpteenth time, and I mean uh, a book will be edited anywhere from eight to ten times before it goes out. Because if I don't, there's a ten-year-old kid out there with his pencil sharpened, and he's waiting, just waiting to find that mistake so he can write me and tell me that I made it. And that's good (laughs) because that keeps you sharp, you know. It keeps you Mm -hmm. on your toes. It doesn't make you take anything for granted. And I also get ideas from them every so often about what they'd like to see happen. I don't always listen to it, but now and again I pay attention to to the characters they most like or they would maybe most like to see again. Um, and just recently I've done three short stories, uh, uh, well, or kind of long short stories, but on the Internet, uh, for publication on the Internet only as a kind of a promotional deal. And uh, I, one of them comes out again, the last one comes out this June, but in each case... I picked a character that that readers had asked over and over again to hear something more about. Um, And so that was very valuable, to know which one Mm -hmm. they they felt strongly about. Well, readers can really um, attach to to characters, and they get to know that character probably as well sometimes as, as you do when they read the books over and over and over again and creates that relationship with you and the reader and and the character is it hard for you if you have to kill off a character or you know well, have you know, something um, happen I, I to a character a couple, i i tell my readers don't get too attached to anybody mm-hmm. when you're reading the books because i feel free to knock off anyone uh if it suits the purposes of the story if it feels right because this is these people live in a violent world they live in a difficult world 
and what they are doing puts them all at risk, or at least most of them at risk. Uh, so mm-hmm. if the storyline demands that somebody goes, I don't care who it is, they're gone. And uh, it, it's, it's, you know, you get attached to characters, but uh, by the same token, sometimes you've written yourself out anyway, so you're, you've said all you wanted to say about this character, and then it's a little easier to let go. But, yeah, you know, sometimes it's hard. Yeah. Well, um, on the the writing with with the characters, I kind of lost my train of thought there because I was looking at my next next question. I know that. (laughs) I do it all the time. (laughs) I got ahead of myself. But but, but when you're not writing, Terry, do do your characters ever start speaking to you and and then make you want to maybe get back there and write? Or do you ever have a a good thought in, in between books? And, and then that kind of sparks you on to maybe jotting down some notes or, or writing. or, or have, How does that kind of work in between books? Because your characters are probably still talking in your head, I would imagine. Well, yeah, this makes me sound a little weird uh, and possibly in need of therapy, but it, there's, there's truth <laughs> uh, to that because uh, in this particular profession, you live with what you do 24 hours a day. It isn't the kind of thing where you go to an office and you punch out at 5 o'clock and you come home or something like that. It isn't like you can leave your work behind because your work is essentially inside your head and you're always, always thinking about it. And it doesn't matter what I'm doing, uh, thoughts will come about what I'm working on because it's sort of simmering back there on on low heat. Uh, And sometimes it's very inconvenient when you're at a party and people are talking about something and you just go away. And I'm constantly (laughs) being reminded not to do that. But uh, it isn't always possible, and, and you, do, you do find yourself always uh, conjuring up new ideas. Um, I, I don't make notes so much as I, I used to, uh, mostly because uh, my feeling is, is if you can't remember something, it probably isn't all that important. I used to do that mm-hmm. with dreams. You know, you'd wake up and you'd write down your dream. Uh, and I quit doing that because uh, when I went to read it the next morning, I couldn't understand what the heck I was doing. Uh, so I, I just started thinking, well, if you can't remember it for, you know, a few hours, it's probably not that great an idea anyway. But, yeah, right. you're, always, you're always thinking about this, about your characters, about your stories. And the other thing that people probably don't understand is that the, the creative process isn't something you can manage. It isn't like sitting down and writing a letter. It isn't like... Um, it isn't like uh, following tracks that you've followed millions of times before. It's a process that, that frequently uh, comes unbidden. It's, it's like magic, I guess. It sometimes uh, just pops up without warning, and you, 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 you get an idea, you get an insight, uh, you get a, a feeling for a character that you hadn't seen before. So you have to, uh, you have to take advantage of it when that happens, and uh, it's not... It's not exact. I don't get my best ideas when I actually sit down and try to think of something. You know, it's like I freeze up. I can't think of anything. It, it happens mm-hmm. uh, when I'm driving, for example, and you kind of go away, you know, when you're taking long trips. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. This sounds a little scary, but you do. You know, you're, you're well, sort of in a zone yeah. there when you're driving on long trips, and, and, and ideas come to me. Um, and uh, the other strange place I get ideas is when I'm in, in the shower. Now, go figure, right? But it's something about that water. <laughs> well, well, that's probably the because your mind is free. The sound of the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's probably because your, your, your mind is, is free at that point. Yeah, it's freed up. And uh, when you can put yourself in that zone uh, frequently, um, that's when I get some of my very best ideas. Uh, so 
you know, you have to be open to the world, I guess, as it, as it were, and, uh, and you have to be, uh, you know, give yourself the opportunity to have those ideas and to, and to be in a place where uh, when something occurs to you, you don't just uh, pay, disregard it or not pay attention to it. You take a moment to consider it. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so the moral of this story for the fans is they want you to go on long drives and take long showers. Yeah, I think that's probably <laughs> it. I don't know if they actually know that. Uh, I haven't said it too often. but uh, <laughs> I'm doing my best here. I'm, I'm the cleanest person you ever saw. <laughs> well, a good job you are doing. Do, do you listen to music at all? Uh, not when I'm working. But I do. I'm very. I'm, uh, music is very evocative for me. It suggests all sorts of things. Uh, I like most kinds of music uh, and listen to them all the time. But when I'm working, I'm. I was raised in a world where, when I worked, it was quiet. Uh, there were no radios. Of course, there was, there was a whole bunch of nothing back, back in the 40s, but uh, except radio. But uh, I just. Uh, I, I just don't function well if there's something distracting going on. And music for me is distracting, and I become involved in it, and uh, I don't function quite so well. So right. I, I work. Well. Yeah. So, so you um, usually would go up to your office then, and and it would be mm-hmm. and it's quiet when you're working. Do you drink coffee or wine or water or what? What, what does it look like when when you're in your your zone well, of space writing? You know, you know the uh, you know the old TV show Monk. Mhm, mhm. The detective that's uh, uh, is is uh, I forget what it's yeah, called. he has anyway, like OCD. Uh, yeah, OCD. That's me. <coughs> and uh, when I work in my office, everything needs to be where it's supposed to be. Uh, so all things are arranged, and no one messes with it, and it just stays where it is because that makes me feel like I'm in a comfortable place. Um, I am, even though I am a Seattleite, I don't drink coffee, which is probably going to get me drummed out of the city. Uh, <laughs> I, no, don't I don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> I try to drink lots of water. That's a good thing, and I do drink wine, but uh, not when I'm working. Uh, when you're mm-hmm. working, it's it's an aesthetic, and and to me, uh, uh, it's best if there are no no there's no food, there's no drink, there's no interruptions, there's no anything. It's just concentration and writing. Because uh, you do, you know, when you're writing, you get into a kind of a zone too. And uh, if it's going well, uh, you can get an awful lot accomplished in a short period of time because the ideas just seem to build one on another, and you just keep moving and you keep moving forward. Well, I drink enough coffee for both of us, so I'll I'll, I'll have you covered in that zone. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> well, you wrote a book. Sometimes the magic works, and yes. that was really. Uh, you know, a, a gift of a book to other people who wanted to be, who who were writers, who maybe wanted to be published or wanted to write better. And can, can you tell us a little bit about that book and, and, and why you wrote it? Sure. I, I actually wrote it as a challenge. They used to have these uh, uh, articles in the paper. I don't think they're there anymore in the New York Times uh, about writers on writing. Um, and they would come out once a month on a Monday. And some writer of note would would write about a particular aspect of what they were doing. And uh, I thought, you yeah, know, I could do that. And so I thought, well, I'll try it. And I sat down and I started to write a little bit about what I had learned over the years, because this, this was in the mid or late 90s, I can't remember now. And I'd had some experiences. I'd had the George Lucas experience, and I'd worked with the, uh, the Steven, Steven Spielberg people on Hook. And uh, I had... Uh, 
you know, uh, I'd worked at Lester Del Rey, who's kind of a legend in the field for uh, 10 years, uh, and it was just, there were a lot of things, and I, I'd learned some things because uh, I, this was a craft, and I viewed it as something I needed to learn, a continuing education program, if I was to make a career out of it and be any good. So I, I wrote uh, some of those, and then I took them to uh, my edit, my uh, agent, and I said, what do you think? And she says, well, these are fine. She said, but if you give them to the New York Times, they keep them. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I won't do that then. So one thing led to another. Next thing I knew, I had enough to make a small book, and I, I thought I wanted to share. You know, I read a lot of writing books, but an awful lot of them are awfully boring, uh, and uh, mm -hmm. they may be giving good insight, but it kills you to get there. Uh, and I wanted to write something that was talked about the joy of the process and how much fun it is and, and how much how satisfying it is and how it doesn't matter if you really if you get published if you're writing because there's joy just in the process itself so i wrote about that and and uh, i was pretty happy with the end result and people seem to like it pretty well mm -hmm. oh definitely definitely that 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 book actually came up in conversation when people people were telling me about you and um how um prevalent you are kind of in in seattle they're like you know uh you you can find terry he's will do a book read he's signing books he's real he's not reclusive or or you don't have the um the reputation of being reclusive in in the seattle area now you're not originally from seattle how, how did you wind up in seattle <laughs> well i fled uh, from the midwest <laughs> <laughs> I was in my hometown uh, in, uh, in in Illinois for, for 42 years of my life when I was a lawyer and doing other things as well as writing and trying to trying to. And after publishing Sword of Shannon and having so much success with that, I made a bargain with myself that uh, if if I could do another two with the same amount of with something that approached the same amount of success, uh, I would quit law and practice full time. And because I figured, you know, you can't make a career on one book, and, and I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to be someone who could do it all my life. And after I got the next two books out, I just said, that's enough. Forty-two years in the same town is ridiculous for a writer. You need to get out and see the larger world. And uh, I'd always loved Seattle. And uh, it, it's a place that <clears throat> I had relatives living in and had toured a couple times uh, in, in with uh, the next two books. And I felt a real connection with it. It felt it was a city that felt like a small town to me, mm -hmm. in terms of being able to get around and knew where things were, and it just felt right. You know how how things are that way. And so there was never oh, any definitely. question of where I was going, uh, and that's where I ended up, and I've uh, been been there ever since. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I was born and raised in San Diego, and so when I transitioned up to the Pacific Northwest. There's just something about the water and the trees, and it just connects with me on a kind of a soul to soul with the. I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain, but it seems like your 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 spirit or your soul kind of knows when you're in the right spot. I agree. I think that's a good way of putting it, Lori. Well, I, I, I want to talk that, you know, about. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say uh, the other thing about uh, living in in northern Illinois was it snows. Uh, and it snows yeah. for long periods of time and copiously, and I don't like snow, and I don't like me either. Me either. I agree with you 100 percent there. <laughs> well, so and, 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 and well, um, <laughs> some of your books are are kind of based 
in, in the Seattle and the Northwest mm-hmm. geographically. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I, I like that about the books that, you know, also you've, you've, you've taken your surroundings and kind of incorporated them into the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right where you know. I, I, I mean, I think uh, the other thing about the Northwest uh, in, in, is uh, it's extremely evocative. Uh, you can look off into uh, the distance uh, at the trees and the water and the mountains and, and, and in different settings, and it suggests all kinds of things. I'm very motivated uh, by my, my surroundings, um, and uh, living here, uh, I think, has uh, served to fuel my creative efforts much more than uh, than was true in, in, in when I was in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can totally understand that because I've, I've I've been places in the world where I well not in the world I've never been anywhere in the world but in the United States I'll say that um, I just kind of feel out of sorts and then I'll get to another place and it's normally always coastal for me and it's um, and it always has to do around water where I just really feel my my whole being kind of just flow in in morph kind of in into that in a peaceful way. So I can see that if you're in that place where you're creative anyway, like like you are, and you're in where you should be in nature or near water or trees or wherever, it would it would even more so kind of tap into letting that creative energy flow because you, you are just in kind of the the right zone. Everything is right. Your your spirit's at peace, your your soul, your mind, it's all kind of working together and not having that kind of dysfunctional noise that goes on when you're in a, you know, yeah. s- someplace that you're not really connected with. Well, it, it also helps to be in a community of writers in Seattle and and really the whole Northwest is a very strong has a very strong community of writers and I've made a lot of friends when I've been out here and we spend a lot of time talking with each other and and uh, there's a support uh, that comes from from having that community of, of creative people around you um, and and I've I, I didn't have that when I was in, in Illinois I was living in the middle of nowhere so there wasn't anybody around uh, that was I will say that Seattle is has a great creative energy. There are so many people that are musicians, writers, artists. I love that. It, for, for for me personally, me it's too. just it's, yeah. it's 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 a great place. Yes. Yeah, I I, I absolutely agree with you about that in, in mm-hmm. all fields. Absolutely, yes. It's just it's just really open and inviting, and I've I've seen this network of people helping people. Just um, what, like what you were saying that you know, there's other writers. You guys tap into you know each other for, um, uh, you know, just uh, to to be around each other. But when I was in California, th- th- there wasn't so much that going on. It was it was more about maybe self promotion, and there was you know there's so many people vying for so many different things that you have to really try to push yourself out there. Um, and so you're not really thinking about your fellow man. But I have noticed in Seattle since I moved up here, it's it's not like that. It, it's more you know artist helping artist type of type of thing, and and yeah. there doesn't seem to be that resentment or. Um, that that you don't want to help somebody else because it might hinder you. Uh, everybody's just kind of moving forward together in a in a in a great creative movement, um, and well, people are being successful. It's not a it's it's not an egocentric community. I think 
mm-hmm. there's less of that going right. on in some other places. And uh, you know, self promotion is too dumb, too much work. Uh, I don't, I don't <laughs> like it. It is. It's exhausting. No, it really is. I mean, it's it's irrelevant to the value of what you're doing anyway. You're supposed to be you know producing something. You're not supposed to be talking about how wonderful you are. So right. I kind of have right. problems with that when it comes around. I, I, but that's nice. Uh, you know, I'd rather other people said that. And so if they're saying it, that's great. Well, let's talk about Blood Fire Quest. For it, it comes out tomorrow, mm-hmm. and you're going yes. on a big book tour. Uh, well, it's a small book tour. Uh, a, uh, for me, anyway, it's only a week, and it's only down the coast uh, from here to Phoenix, uh, hitting the cities that are there along the way. And uh, you know, I, I, it, I've been doing this for so long now. I've been doing it since 1982, whatever that is. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's, I'll see a lot of people I know along the way, and I'll go to some familiar bookstores and, and other places. And uh, it, it, it'll, but it's usually I'm out a couple of weeks, so this is this is fairly small, and it's not too demanding. And uh, that's a good thing because I I just had a book come out in August. I have another book coming out in July. This is a three book one year period. And uh, that's that's a lot of stress to to get the books done in that time period, and also to go out and publicize them. So I don't, right. I don't want to do too. Much. Yeah. Well, um, CherryBrooks.net is where people can go anytime and find out where you're going to be. I'll just go over a couple of them real quick uh, before you go. It's um, tomorrow you're going to be in Portland, so at seven o'clock at Powell's Books. Then on the 14th you're going to be in Seattle at University Bookstore. Then you're down in San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, my hometown. Up on, in fact, I live right off of Claremont Mesa Boulevard. It's sunny. Oh, You're going to be okay. at Mister Mysterious Galaxy on Claremont Mesa Boulevard. Mysterious I Galaxy. live yep. right across the street. Yep. And then Phoenix. Okay. And Phoenix. But then it looks like you go to the U- UK. So. Yeah, I'll be in the UK. I'm that's vacation. Oh, okay. I'm going to do forbidden. <laughs> I'm going to do Forbidden Planet uh, just because I'm over there, but. Um, I'm, I'm mostly going there because I, uh, I'm taking my grandson and, and my wife and my I are taking my grandson. So a little bit different. Well, that's great. That yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Well, it's a kind of a, 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 a little bit of a working vacation, but it's great that the people in the U.K. will be able to um, at, at least see you on April 3rd at the Forbidden Planet in London. So. Right. right. And, and I haven't been there for quite a while. I used to go fairly regularly. Uh, but it's been a while since I've been over there, so I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I, I have a real, really good relationship with the with the British readers, and and they're great fans. And and I'm I'm, I'm kind of grateful for the chance to get over there and and do at least one signing. And if things work out, I hope to come back again uh, in the near, near future. Well, I will say that we we have a huge following that listens to us on the internet from the UK right now. Um, and, and, and it may have been like this for quite a while, but um, there's always been a relationship between the U.K. and the United States anyway. Um, we're, we're, you know, obviously closely related. But um, right now they're really liking Seattle. I mean, they can't really get enough of all things Seattle. They like Seattle writers. They like Seattle music. They like to know what's going on in Seattle. They are coming to Seattle. Um, and I say, welcome. <laughs> I, I'm glad to have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I can understand their feelings. Me, me, me too. Exactly. I, I don't know if it had to do with you know. Uh, well, the 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 Twilight series uh, kind of took place in Forks. You're writing about areas in Seattle. Uh, El James wrote about Seattle in her Fifty Shades of Grey. So a lot of writers are 
embracing Seattle in, in their writing. We're just happy that we actually have a writer like you who lives here. <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> you have a lot of good writers who live there, with, and many of them have very strong followings. And uh, I, I have to say that a lot of a lot more writers these days, particularly young writers in, in with young adult fiction, son, are writing about the Pacific Northwest. And it, it's kind of a mecca for many people. Uh, and and I, I I think that it speaks to them in in creative ways, and that's why they identify with the area and where, why they want to set their stories here. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree. Yeah, um, the, the the Twilight series brought a lot of people in and fell in love with 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 the Northwest. Um, yeah. Fans are starting. They they, they want to go to where these places these uh, you know places in the book take place, and that's taken on a a whole nother you know avenue of tourism. Um, and I I, oh, yeah, I, I don't absolutely. think it used to be like that years ago, but now fans want to actually physically see these places. Yes, I think they do. I certainly do with the uh, forks and uh, uh, with uh, Stephanie's work. Mm-hmm. But also with yours, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they come knocking on your door pretty soon wanting to know where, you know, everything is, oh, no, <laughs> if, no, if no, they're no. not already. <laughs> no, my job is to, my job is to, drive, was to drive them away uh, by writing uh, those <laughs> scenes that are set in Lincoln Park and, and Pioneer Square uh, in the underground. And when people say to me, I read that and I'm never going there again at night, <laughs> I think, I've done my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we we do like Pioneer Square and Lincoln Park, but you're 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 absolutely right. Um, but in fact, it was in Pioneer Square where I, I first heard about you. I, I was I was over in Pioneer Square, and uh, someone had one of your books, and they're like, you know, this is is who you need to be talking to, Terry Brooks, and, and they were telling me they said that um, Terry is one of the top ten celebrities in Seattle. And I said, really? Well, who are the other nine? And, you know, five of them weren't even alive. And I'm like, well, then that really makes him one of the top five celebrities in Seattle because I don't really think you can count the five who have passed away. Well, and I'm great. I'm really grateful I am still alive. Uh, that puts me <laughs> one up on, on J.R.R. Tolkien, too. <laughs> That's right. So I, I didn't know if, if if you knew you were one of the top ten celebrities, but if anybody asks you, you're really the, yeah. in the top five because the, the, I, I'm not counting the other five who, who are no longer with us. <laughs> uh, to anybody who's listening out there, I, I tend to do my very best to stay alive for uh, at least a few more years. <laughs> well, I hope so because they want you to keep writing. I mean, people can't get enough of your books. The um, the Landover series and the um, Shannara series. So it's just, it's really, really big. And how, yeah, I mean, did, are, are you just going to keep going with the series? Well, I don't know. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm always thinking of doing new things too. Uh, but uh, the readership's uh, enthusiasm drives me to a certain extent to keep the series going. Um, I'm not because of the of the scope of the Shannara series. I could probably write those books until I drop over. Uh, so I, I mm-hmm. expect I, I probably will. Uh, Magic Kingdom. Uh, I'm not so much so sure about that one. And uh, we'll just have to see um, if they make a movie of Magic Kingdom. I definitely will write a new book, uh, and that's in the works right now. Uh, I, I I don't know about uh, Word and Void, for example, which is the third series. Uh, that was a self-contained trilogy and. I may write something more about that, and I may not. But 
anyway, the main thing is I will, I promise to keep writing. I'll, I'll do my best to make the stories engaging and uh, keep the readership uh, interested, and that's my job. Well, that will make them happy because that's that's what they want. They, they want you to to keep writing, and and right. um, they they will keep you know they're invested in it, and uh, they're they're with you in the long haul. And I, I can't think of a a greater guy to be in uh, for for the long haul with. Um, you well, thank just you. did that not disappoint, nice. and every everything I heard about you was just uh, fantastic. You have a great reputation, um, and. Uh, Everything that, that that you're doing and, and 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 trying to get out there to the public is resonating. So I did want to pass that along to you that you uh, just have a, a a great group of people, especially in the Seattle area and all over the world. But but speaking for Seattle, who just absolutely adore you. Well, uh, the the fan base in Seattle is important to me, so that's very good to hear. Thank you so much. Well, best of luck with your um, well your your small book tour and your trip over to England, and uh, I think you're gonna, a lot of people are going to come out. I don't have to tell you that. You're going to have a lot of people coming out and, um, uh, and and reading your books and following everything that you do, and um, I think I'm going to start on the bandwagon, and I'm going to get my first book, and I'm going to start reading it, so I might turn up one of those lines. I like it. <laughs> I'll see you there. You're a new convert right on the spot. That's that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> nope. I, I'm not a huge reader, but but your books have really sparked my imagination. I do have a really great imagination, so I and um, I, I I like that there's quite a few of the books, so I can kind of keep going with it. So I'm going to delve in with everyone else, and I I can't wait to start. And um, Dark Legacy is dropping tomorrow for everybody, and I'm sure they're all way ahead of this. You know, they're already tweeting me that they already. Um, <laughs> Or knowing all of that. <laughs> well, anyway, Terry, thank you for coming on and, you know, just Anytime. continued success. Anytime. And it's very nice to have you to invited me. Thank you very much. Have a great rest of the day and have fun in England. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, that was the amazing Terry Brooks. As you can tell, he's just a fantastically nice person and uh, tremendously successful, tremendously. He's very modest. Um, he is one of the best-selling uh, authors in the fantasy genre of all time. I think he's second only behind um, J.K. Rowling's. So, his books, the Shannara series, S-A-N-N-A-R-A, everybody's reading them, millions and millions of people. Um, they love Terry. As you can tell, he's just a fantastic guy. Listen to his TED Talk. Um, you can go on YouTube and listen. He did a great TED Talk. And um, it's just kind of talking about his life and his work and his writing. I'm going to play right now for you um, a song from an emerging artist group called Avalon Landing. And we do our best here to um, promote emerging artists. And Avalon Landing is based out of Las Vegas, and they've contacted me and sent me some stuff to listen to. And this one is called Cold Front Habits. And so I'm going to get Ryan on the phone right now, and we're going to bring him back on, and you can listen to some of their music and support emerging artists. And we will be right back with Avalon Landing. 
Well, Feed is like Twitter, and the great thing about Feed is that um, you, you can have more characters. You can have like 340 characters, but the wonderful thing about it is it, it links to your Twitter. So when you type it all out, you know, and you have your 340 characters or whatever, um, it links to your Twitter, so it, it, it gives the information over there on Twitter. But all the young kids are on feed. They're all leaving Twitter, supposedly, and headed over to feed. So, of course, you know, I took my old bones over to feed to be with right. all those young kids. <laughs> we're, we're looking so, at it right now. Okay. Yeah, feed is, is, is pretty awesome. Because I, I have a lot more to say than 140 characters will provide on Twitter, but the great thing about feed is that they give you more and then they link it to your Twitter. So um, you just get to keep talking on feed, and then it's, it's a way to kind of get around the, the, um, the, the, the Twitter con, con, you know, condensing of what you want to say. Anyway, enough about feed. So tell me how you guys formed your band and how you ended up in Las Vegas. Oh, man, that is... I will try to give the condensed version. I tend to go too long on it, but um, we're feed. Yeah, yeah, feed. I'll have some extra characters. Um, we are the four of us are all from Buffalo. Our bassist Danny um, is he was living in Las Vegas at the time when we when we moved here, so he's the only one not from Buffalo. And I suppose the concise version is that I moved down here with family in 2010. Um, Josh and Clayton were in a band together back home. Ryan was in a band in Buffalo back home. And for various reasons, those projects were coming to an end. And they were interested in starting something new. And at the time, I was out here in Las Vegas just uh, just playing by myself, um, doing, like, acoustic stuff. And we kind of had talked about forming a band together. And now that I was out in Las Vegas, it kind of seemed like that wasn't going to happen because we were on different sides of the country. But um, they were interested in coming out and checking out the scene. There was a really kind of cool um, downtown music scene that was happening. There were some festivals that I was taking part in. And they came down and played a couple shows and decided that it made the most sense for them at this point in their life to take a little bit of a chance and come on out here. Um, Josh and Clayton is a good guitarists and vocals and keyboards and vocals came out and we played just a show with the three of us we didn't have a drummer um after that we were talking about getting a drummer and ryan over here had called josh or texted josh and asked if he knew of any bands that needed a drummer which we did and he was down to come out to las vegas so they played a couple played a couple more shows um in the spring of 2011 and then by the summer, they had made the move out here. The four of us were together. We found our bassist, Danny, and we've kind of been off to the races ever since, playing a lot of shows and um, working on, on music. So that's the How did you... a thousand-word-or-less version. <laughs> How did you come up with the name Avalon Landing? Uh, okay. <laughs> so there's a couple things that kind of made the decision for us, I guess. There's a... Um, you probably are familiar with the book Catcher in the Rye um, mm -hmm. by J.D. Sander. Um, it's a book that a few of us uh, really like. It's, uh, Mike and I, we really we consider it one of our favorite books. Uh, and I also really liked a, a movie called Finding Forrester, um, which is loosely based on J.D. Salinger. Um, and the book and the movie, which is loosely based on Catcher in the Rye, 
is called Avalon Landing, and I just like the idea of using something that um, comes from two things that I really like because I'm personally just uh, my favorite thing about anything creative is that it's exactly that. It's something that didn't exist in the world before. So it's, uh, you know, J.D. Salinger wrote a book that I love called Catcher in the Ride that, you know, wouldn't have existed if he didn't write it. Um, and then the same thing with Finding Forrester. So it's just I like the idea of taking two things that I really liked and picking one thing that, you know, kind of connected the two. Uh, and mm-hmm. calling that the band. Calling that our band. I really so like that name. I think, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I, I came from. Yeah. No, I, I, I like it. It just flows right off the tongue. It's easy to say, and it's it's also easy to remember because that there are so many connections, like you were saying, Catcher in the Rye and Fighting Force yeah. and different things. It, it, it's memorable. Do, do you I find Las Vegas to, 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 to be a, a creative place? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, compared to Buffalo, it's just uh, it's a great it's place to be for a bit. Yeah, yeah, it couldn't be, couldn't be any different. Yeah, you know, what, 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 it's interesting, though, is that everybody has, like, an idea of Las Vegas um, that you'd see in the movies or whatever, and that totally exists, and there's, like, something really cool about that. Um, but the other side of it that really actually motivated me was sort of the, I guess you could call it, like, the... Uh, um, I can't think of the word right now, but the alternative to that, like the um, the fact that there was a downtown music scene that was happening, and a lot of the people down there sort of saw themselves as pinned against the big giants on the on the strip, all the hotels and stuff, which I love. I love the strip. I think it's great. But there's a lot of like locals um, in the art scene and the creative scene that really saw themselves as having to um, be up against those big giants, um, and it really gave them this huge like entrepreneurial, like, motivational sort of thing to go ahead and, and try to create, you know, music festivals and venues and theater spaces and all sorts of art scenes to sort of uh, try to have a voice against, like, the giant, huge, um, huge casinos. And that was sort of what I had gotten involved with. And everybody that I met was really passionate about making that happen and felt like, um, you know, they were like a David and Goliath thing. They were up against this giant uh, beast and they were trying to have their little voice be heard. And I think in many ways as, like, people that write songs or play music or are, are in bands, that's what it is, like, just feeling like you're up against everybody. And so that was super creative, and there's a lot of awesome stuff going on in there, and that's sort of the scene that the band was, was formed out of, and that was unique to that those few blocks downtown where that was happening. Mm-hmm. Do, 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 do you get a lot of locals coming to your show, or are, are the tourists kind of being able to, to, to make their way to find you? It really depends where you play. Um, we, when we first started playing, would play in the sort of downtown music circuit, which uh, is pretty much local. Um, and then when you're playing in more of, like, the places on the Strip, which we've been super fortunate to play because there are awesome rooms like at the Palms and um, places like that, the Hard Rock and Mandalay Bay. Those are more more tourists are coming out to those, which I think they both have their their advantages and their charms. Like the the tourist thing, like one of the things that we kind of were told right away was it's interesting when the audience itself is on tour and you have people from all over the place that can take your music home with them. Um, because of that, we have people that know us in like you know, England and stuff, which which just wouldn't have mm-hmm. happened otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. The downside of that is that 
you know, they're tourists and they take it and they find that they hate the city and they go home and you don't really necessarily, like, they're obviously not going to come to more shows and they're a little less likely to really get hooked on you. Um, it's cool to be able to do that. It's cool to have that option to to play a, a lounge or play for a bunch of people from all over the world, really. That 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 really is a a great perspective on that because Las Vegas really is kind of a, a crossroads for so many people from around the world, yeah. and you're kind of at that center of that. So you have the ability to give exposure to your band to people, like you said, from going all over. You don't know where they're going back to, um, yeah. and 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 taking the, the music with with them. I think it's how you use the city. Like it's it's a very unique place, and it may not be the first place that a band like us would think of to come. Like people just go, oh, what are you guys trying to be like showgirls or something out in Las Vegas? But I think that there's a really cool way to use this city um, to 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 help you get started and sort of launch what you're trying to do. And I think so far we've done a pretty decent job of doing that. Yeah, you, you know, you're, you're right. You're you are up, up against a you know the machine, and there's there's a lot of noise with the strip that because they're bringing in these huge mega acts, and so then you have emerging artists and um, newer artists trying to find their way against all of that. So yeah, from a business standpoint, you have to figure out how to make that work for you to give you the most exposure if you're in Las Vegas. So yeah, yeah because it, it, it does have a reputation. Yeah, there's like always a, there's there's tons of shows going on every night of the week. So like for somebody to come out and see your band play, um, you it it can be difficult sometimes. <laughs> the feet. Yeah, it's uh it that is difficult, but it's you know at the same time there's I think a lot of advantages to to being here and, and doing it this way. So. Right, right. No, you know, you you take what you're given and you figure out a way to make it work, and and that's exactly what you're doing. I, I will say that the Hard Rock, I think, is a, is a great venue. They really do help um, indie artists, uh, unsigned artists, artists up and coming, um, newly signed artists. Uh, it's a great place to go to listen to really great music. Is the Hard Rock? It happens in Seattle as well. They um, they they have on their second floor. They always have great music up there, um, and I'm glad to see that that's happening in Las Vegas as well. And you're going to be playing at the Hard Rock in Las Vegas on the 16th. That is correct. Yeah, we're going to be playing. Uh, we're, it's a CD release show for a band called Play for Keeps. Uh, another. Las Vegas-based band. You should check them out, too. It's our first show back in a while. We've been recording our new album for the past month, so it's been pretty hectic. Right, yeah, so it's going to take you out of the studio and into live play. Yeah, test some of these new songs out, see how it goes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, the, uh, the 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 Hard Rock, I'm a huge supporter of the, of the Hard Rock because of what they do to help with, um, with, with with music, you know, and uh, they're doing that at Hard Rocks all over the country, so um, it's it's great to see that you guys are, are playing there. Um, do, do you have anything else coming up that we, you know, should look out for? Really, I think for, for people to just keep an eye on, like, our website and all of our social media outlets for just what's going on with, um, with the release of new music. I mean, there's no real timetable of anything. But just saying that we've finished in the studio, so there's going to be a lot going on in the form of updates for that. Um, we will have other shows that are coming up, none that are really um, ready to announce right now or anything. But um, mm-hmm. just 
it's going to be a really busy time for us as far as getting the album together. So it should be really fun for people to watch it as it comes together. And when we have music ready to release to people, um, that way they'll be the first to know. Yeah, and yeah, you can find him at, at avalonlandingmusic.com. And then on, on, on Twitter, what, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, I think it's just, just Avalon Landing. Landing. Yeah, it's just Avalon Landing. Okay. At Avalon Landing. Um, but for anyone that's interested in, in paying attention to us and following us, we, our website's relatively new, and it's, it's, uh, it's up to date all the time. We've uh, we put together a studio blog that keeps track of everything that's been going on since we started recording. We're going to continue doing that, uh, just kind of having a general blog once we're done with the recording. Um, so it's always going to be up to date, and uh, it's got, it'll have a list of all of our shows and, and all of our information. So. Uh, it's a great website. website. It's, it's it's really well done. I'm I'm looking at it right now. It's a really well done website. Thank you. Oh my god, thank you so much. <laughs> well, I read the Oh my god, thank you. <laughs> well, who's ever doing is doing a great job. We're, we're, we're going to go out with um, another one of your songs, and I'll let you choose. I have um, no need for second chances or old phone books. You you guys pick. Um. Let's do uh, let's do no need for second chances, I guess. Okay. Sure. All right. T- tell tell me about that one. Oh man, I haven't thought of this one in a while. Um, well, this <laughs> is uh, I tend to write pessimistic songs. This is this is probably one of the most pessimistic songs I've ever written. Um, I tend to really get down about myself as far as <laughs> um, being able to accomplish anything. So the. <laughs> The name of the song is, uh, it's just literally like, I, I don't, there's no bother giving me a second chance because I'm not going to get it done anyway. It's <laughs> not like a singly type of song. You sound like a perfectionist. Uh, maybe. A little bit. Hello. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So, I don't know. so that's Ryan, Mike, Clayton, and Josh. They are Avalon Landing. You can listen to them, find out more at avalonlanding.com. And we're going to go out with the um, uh, pessimistic song, No Need for Second Chances. And they're just, uh, as you can tell, a great group of guys. If you're in Las Vegas, uh, go to their website and you can see where they're playing. They're going to be playing at the Hard Rock Cafe on the 16th in Las Vegas. And that's just a fantastic venue. And uh, support emerging artists. All right, guys, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. Have a good day. You too.
Lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.